Good morning, good afternoon, what's cracking? I'm Jim Rome. The reason I always do that at the top of hour number two is some of you join me at the top of hour number two. I understand that. So, good morning, good afternoon, what's cracking? I am in Southern California. Right now we are radio only. We will soon be a simulcast once again on the X platform. In the meantime, if you missed the end of hour number one, I can tell you somebody who didn't. No names mentioned, but he's got an enormous cranium. This guy is so predictable. James Kelly's known for like three or four things, and that's about it. One of them is his inordinate and inexplicable love of Rex Lee dunking on me. He loves that. He loves that more than he loves himself. He loves that more than anything. How do I know? Don't do it yet, Albie. When I shared that story with Mitchell Schwartz, about how I tried to ask Andy Reid in years past. I've known Andy for years. I mean, for years. When he was the head coach of the Eagles, he would come on this show and always did a good interview and always ended the interview the same way. You're the best, Jim. You're the best, Jim. I mean, I love the man, and I've always respected him as a coach. So we have this connection. Thanks. He would every interview like that. You're the best, Jim. Thanks. Andy, I appreciate the visit very much. Great to get caught up. Thank you so much. All right, Jim. You're the best, man. Every single time. And he means it, I think. So I feel this connection, and I finally run into him. I find out you know, on the, on the download that he's got a house out here and not far from where I live. I'm like, yo, yo, Andy, we're connected. We're connected. I, I know that you're nearby. Where are you? When do you come? What's up? And he just shut me down in a very polite way, but kind of like, okay, you know, like boundaries. He didn't use the word, but I, I noticed that I stepped over the line. I immediately backed down. So... James Kelly says, ah, Andy Rex lead you. That's funny. See, James Kelly, as I mentioned, (laughs) there is nothing that he likes more than Rex Lee, quote, dunking on me. He loves that more than he loves himself. I think he loves that more than he loves the oxygen he breathes. This is what he loves so much. Rex Lee, this was during the Rex streak. When Entourage was arguably the biggest show on TV, a show that I absolutely loved, that I constantly hyped, constantly talked about, knew some of the cast members, would put the cast members on the show, and then it was such a no-brainer. We were in the famous Rex streak. I'm like, why wouldn't I get Rex Lee? It's perfect. And so this guy comes on, has no idea who I am, clearly, and just dunks on me and disrespects me. And James Kelly still, to this day, thinks it's the best thing ever. Yeah. Well, was that a question? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think so. Maybe not a good question, huh, Rex? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not putting it down. Um, yes, I definitely agree with Actually, you, you were said. putting me down, bro. They, they, you absolutely were putting me down. I'm not being coy. I honestly don't remember. Like, they sent me a whole bunch of scripts, like, No, you were being ago, coy, and you and did remember. Ago, you, you, no, no, really no, there was nothing of the sort. Anyway, Sorry. thanks, Alvin. Thanks. Anyway, James Kelly will never not think that's funny. But, dude, for you to try to turn that into the encounter that I had with Andy Reid, I mean, that'd be like, dude, apples to oranges. We're talking about different sports here. That'd be the equivalent of you having a better command of the English language than me. That'd be the equivalent, James, of you having better command of the English language than any eight-year-old I know. Do you got to stop with that? One thing has nothing to do with the other. As an example, after I ran into Andy Reid at Javier's, 
he came on this show. And the way that came to be was, he's like, Jim, haven't talked to you in forever, man. What's going on? I said, Andy, respectfully, I've been trying forever to talk to you, and I'm not having much luck. And I I didn't want to be... I wasn't going to be that guy. I wasn't going to point the finger. I wasn't going to cry about it. I just, I want him to know I've been trying, coach. I've been trying. I miss you. I want you to be on the show. I just haven't had any luck for whatever reason. He goes, oh, I thought you forgot about me. Here, do this. And sure enough, the next week he appeared on the show like clockwork. Hey, James, let me ask you something. Does this exchange sound anything like or remind you of the exchange that I had with Rex Lee? Let's listen. I love the place. I mean, I love it. Uh, and you said it. There, there, you always see people in there that you don't expect to see. I was as excited to see you as you were me. So, I mean, we, ha- we haven't talked in a long time. And we used to talk all the time and, and for no reason other than I moved back to to Kansas City here. And, and it was kind of a new start. But it, it was great to see you. And your family's phenomenal. I mean, you had a load there now. People don't realize that. that table was that was a long table you had you have a beautiful wife and janet your son he was beaming man 17 years old it doesn't get any better living in california eating at javier's 17 year birthday and i mean uh, come on how much better does it get james kelly man you must feel really stupid i mean come on dude yeah just like rex lee just like it or nothing like it come on man i'm sorry that you're idle got worked again in the Super Bowl. But stop trying to take this out on everybody else and acting like it didn't happen, man. Look at him. He goes, play Rex again. Why? It just makes you look worse, dude. It makes you look worse and negative and a hater and bitter and acting like you're not afraid of the man. You're pushing back on the man. You do what you want around here. I don't know, dude. It's a bad look. If I were you, I would quit while you're behind. You're holding a pair of twos, man. Stop it. Stop it. That, that, that Andy Reid soundbite that I just played is incredible. It tells you how amazing that guy is. Stop trying to compare that to Rex. Quote, play Rex again. We heard it the 100th time, head. Instead, I think I'll go to the phones. We go to Driftwood. Ben in Driftwood has been trying to get on the air with this, so let me make some room for him right now. What's going on, Ben? How are you? Hey, Rome. I would have made this call yesterday, but I afraid he went full-on filibuster mode and sucked up all the airtime. Want to say congratulations to East Kingdom for the second Lombardi in 20 years, but Travis, you really lost your chance to make the perfect front-page story. It was perfectly scripted to take a knee on the podium and put a ring on Taylor Swift, but at least you hit up Coach Reed, right? Rome, I'll see you Thursday for a huge beef to kick it off on the X. Regulation War, Rick and Buffalo, I have Frady and Jeff and Richmond for giving Rome's pipe a full-on Usher hash- halftime show. Overtime War, Pamela Anderson and Rome. Ah! That's not a good call. No. Hey, ben. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. For however long you were on hold... And if you're complaining that you didn't get on yesterday because I Afraidy took all of that time, you've been on hold for several hours, still not nearly long enough. What the hell did that call even mean? What was the point of that, Ben? Hey, Ben, what are you doing in life that you have hours and hours and hours to wait on hold to say that? 
when that made no sense to anybody but you. Yeah, I know. Hey, Rome, bite the hand that feeds much? Yes. If you're going to do that. Not only that, but Tommy just shared with me that while he was on hold that entire time, he also thumbed out an email saying, hey, Tom, tell Rome to take the call. It's golden ticket worthy. In other words, I'm missing this great opportunity. He's going to make the show better. He's got a golden ticket call ready to fly. You know, like Dan Marino tells Tua, find a guy and let it fly. I guess that's what Ben and Driftwood was doing. Hey, Ben, thanks for the heads up about your beef, which is coming on Thursday. That won't see the light of day. Thanks for the heads up. Appreciate the warning. Good looking out, dude. Thanks for letting us know that bad content's coming. Come on, man. Do better. And by do better, all I'm saying is make sense. I can't decode your calls. Let's go to Compton. John in Compton. What's going on, John? How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Uh, uh, Thanks for taking my call. I just want to say I cannot believe I heard this on your show. It's called Situational Awareness. Don't let the ball hit your foot. You got to be aware of your surroundings. Another thing is they didn't even get Kittle ignited. He was walking off the field saying, it's not my fault we lost. I had one play, one, one yard. I couldn't believe it. And I'm thinking Shanahan is doing one or two things right now. Either he's in a smash room busting up furniture, glass, and TVs, or he's buried himself under Levi Stadium like crawling under a rock. They're probably going to have two-for-one corn dogs at Levi Stadium, because when he said corn dog, he they they were laughing like, hey, they fell for that. They're so stupid. They fell for the corn dog play. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, I just want to say thank you for having a great show and uh, keep it up. Bye. Good job, dude. Thanks for making that great show even better. You see, Ben, that's how you do it. John and Compton keeping it real, saying I don't get it. Situational awareness. You can't let the ball hit you in the foot. True. So whose fault is that? Is that Ray Ray's fault? Ross Tucker made a pretty impassioned argument that Ray Ray actually made three mistake mistakes on that play play. And one of them is saying... I don't talk smack. I smack talk. Ross Tucker said yesterday, he was my guest, and obviously coming off a game like that, one of the first guys I'm going to go to is my guy Ross. Ross said, listen, I can't tell you how many meetings I've sat in. I'm paraphrasing this right now unless the legend Allen wants to find it. But Ross said yesterday, is a former seven-year vet of the NFL, I can't tell you how many times, how many meetings I've sat in we're on a punt, the punt returner has to say, especially if he's not going to catch the ball. First of all, he goes, they're supposed to catch the ball. But if they're not going to catch the ball, anytime there is anybody near the ball, any teammate, scatter, scatter. And he said there's a word, there's a code word, like poison, poison. In other words, get the hell out of the way of the ball. He said Ray Ray was trying to recover the ball, but it was his take. It was Ross's take-take that Ray Ray did not do a good enough job of letting his teammate know, poison, 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 scatter, 
because the ball went off the back of his foot, and that's why Ray Ray tried to recover it. That was the muff. He didn't muff it. It hit a teammate. He said the next mistake that he made was that instead of falling on the ball, he tried to scoop it. He made three mistakes in my mind on the same play. I mean, number one, those guys are taught to catch the ball, field the ball, if at all possible. And I don't know if he misjudged it, but he was certainly late to come up on the ball and make the catch. The number two, if you're not going to make the catch, if, it, if you think it's a short punt, any of your guys are, are even close to it, you run up there and say, Peter, Peter, poison, poison, or whatever. And almost if you have to physically move them out of the way, then you do that. You cannot let the ball hit one of them. And then the one that I don't understand at all, Jim, fall on the ball. I mean, it goes off Luter's foot, and it goes right to Ray Ray McLeod, and he tries to scoop it. And maybe it's because, you know, these guys are just so gifted, Jim, and they've always been able to, you know, scoop a ball up like that and just run with it, but he wasn't going anywhere anyway. Like, I was taught when I first started playing football as a Husky sixth grader, (laughs) fall on the ball. Fall on the ball, Tucker. Like, just fall on the ball at that point. Really changed the whole complexion of the game. It did. The entire game changed on that play. The entire game turned on that play. So I've got thoughts. Mike Silver's got lots of thoughts about Kyle Shanahan. Is this on him? Is this not on him? I don't want to give the interview away. It's coming up next. But that was Ross Tucker doing Ross Tucker things. Great analysis by him. All right. So I got one call that was run and one call from Compton that got racked. I like it. Give me an A or give me an F. Perfect. Give me an A or give me an F. A Frisco fan. Your thanks would be appreciated. I told you I wouldn't pile on, and I didn't. Mike Silver, I'll finish that thought too a little bit later on. Mike Silver, though, when we come back. Let's take a short time out. Here's a quick question. I don't know if you've heard me ask you this, but this is a really important question. Why is Old Trapper beef jerky so amazing? Why don't we start with the most important fact of all? It's a family-run business. I know this family. They're all about the business. They're all about the quality. They're all about producing the world's finest beef jerky. That's their stated mission. Do not be fooled by the brands. All beef jerky is not the same. Make sure you choose Old Trapper. You can actually see the quality right through their iconic Clearview packages. Every single bite of Old Trapper is tender. It's never tough because they use just the best ingredients. I've talked about this. They don't have to. They don't have to. They could take shortcuts, but they don't. They use just the finest ingredients from their lean strips of beef, seasoned with top-quality spices to their real wood-fired smoke. It's the best. Grab and go with a 4-ounce bag. Load up with an 18-ounce bag. That way you've got enough for the entire team. If for some reason you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? You're listening to The Jim Rome Show. Welcome back. I'm Jim Rome. If you're on hold, stay there. If you're not on hold, why are you not on hold? 
Phone lines are open nationwide, 1-800-636-8686. We're joined right now by a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, partner at Backstage Media. He is the author of several books, including All Things Possible, which profiles Kurt Warner. He is Mike Silver. Mike, always good to talk to you. What's up, brother? How you doing? Great, Jim. How are you? Good, good, Mike. Great to have you. Thanks so much. So the headline for your latest column in the Chronicle reads, Why You Shouldn't Blame Kyle Shanahan for the 49ers Super Bowl Loss. Listen, I understand that you don't write the headlines for the paper, and I'm not putting this loss on him, but make your case for us. Why should we not put the loss on Kyle? Well, if you read the column, it's really in the context of his other Super Bowl uh, experiences. He was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons, of course, in Super Bowl 51. He's, I believe, has received a disproportionate share of the blame for that 28-3 lead that uh, disappeared in the third quarter and fourth quarter and the overtime loss to Tom Brady. That's on the head coach, but for whatever reason, uh, Kyle Shanahan and not Dan Quinn has kind of been the poster child for that. Uh, four years ago against the Chiefs, they did have a 10-point fourth-quarter lead midway through the fourth quarter and lost that game. Uh, I, I, I thought he coached a pretty good game. You know, two games ago, they beat the Packers in the first round. I, I kind of criticized the way he coached it in-game. Didn't think he was getting after it. Was. Uh, but in this one, look, yeah, trick play touchdown. Uh, he really, uh, you know, went for it on the fourth and three in the fourth quarter, and that led to a touchdown. And then had the game managed perfectly at the end with that slow drive at the end of regulation. If they uh, convert that third and four, I think it was, uh, late in regulation after the two-minute warning, they bleed out that clock and probably kick a field goal at the very end. So, uh, you know, sometimes you coach it well and you get, you go up against Patrick Mahomes and a great defense and it doesn't work out. But we all want to blame somebody. I would blame Patrick Mahomes for this one. I think that's all fair. Mike Silver joining us. And Mike, what about the fact that much has been made of the new postseason overtime rules and how they may have impacted the outcome of the game? Where do you come out on Kyle's decision to take the ball to start OT? Do you have any issue with that? And then what do you make of his players, a number of them actually, saying they didn't even know about the new overtime rules? Well, it's, it's a great debate, and I think it's a fair debate. Uh, and I've, I've gone back and forth. Uh, I think I'm on Kyle's side of it slightly, but it's a tough call. Uh, from his perspective, if you score and they match, then it's sudden death, and you absolutely want the ball uh, like it was the original overtime rules, right? You, especially against Patrick Mahomes. So if you score a touchdown, they score a touchdown, your ball at sudden death, save with two field goals. That's presuming that everybody goes for one and makes it. Uh, also, the defense was very tired at that point, so it keeps your defense off the field initially. The counter-argument, and it's a good one, is uh, whatever you do uh, or whatever the team does that goes first, if you're second, that knowledge helps you. You know when four downs are in play. You know what you have to do, and you can always go for two, even if they score a touchdown, and settle it right there. I I think it's a pretty fair debate. I probably would skew on his side of it. Uh, as far as the second question and players not knowing, 
I'm on my way down there right now, and we're going to get to talk to, to players. Honestly, I'm pretty surprised. Uh, I know how smart Kyle Shanahan is and how well-prepared that team is and how many smart players are in that locker room. Uh, it's bizarre to me that they would come out and admit that they didn't know the rule. And I will add this last part. The fact that players don't know the rule and even I didn't know for sure that when that clock was ticking down at the end and Andy Reid wasn't calling timeout that it would just toll to another overtime period, I think we need to improve the rule. And I've been saying this for a long time. If you can't explain to me in one sentence what the overtime rule is, it's a bad rule, especially with a Super Bowl on the line. I understand they've tweaked it because it hasn't been perfect, I still don't think it's perfect if we are having this conversation. You know, to that point, though, Mike, it it seemed like Kansas City had no trouble understanding the rule. Well, yeah, except Nicole Hardman apparently didn't know it because Patrick Mahomes said that when Hardman got the touchdown, he was, you know, baffled by the fact that it was uh, that kind of celebration. So, you know, look, your players don't necessarily have to know the rule because presumably they are trying desperately to score a touchdown or prevent it in any context. But um, it does sound like Andy Reid practiced that scenario as far back as training camp, and Kyle Shanahan didn't. So I think two things could be true. Uh, I thought Kyle coached a really good game. They were in position to win. And when you get into a tight game against Patrick Mahomes with those stakes, often or almost always, Patrick Mahomes wins, but I I am curious to talk to some players right now because I'm very surprised that uh, Kyle Shanahan wouldn't have drilled that into them just as part of what he always does because his preparation is as good as there is in the league in terms of opponent-specific week-to-week game plans, and obviously this was an element of of that week. Now, you and I are on the same page, Mike. I agree. I'm not saying that's why they lost. I'm saying it's kind of unfathomable to me that they didn't know the rules. But to McCole Hardman, I don't know that he knew the rule either, rule either because he said he blocked out. And watching him running around, <laughs> he didn't look like he blocked out. He looked like he didn't know the game was over. And then Patrick set him straight. And, Mike, to your point that if you want to blame somebody – Blame Patrick Mahomes for being Patrick Mahomes. Let me ask you this. You've covered all the major sports. You've written a book, a number of books, but you wrote a book on Dennis Rodman. So if we're looking for a comp, say, between the NBA and the NFL, you know those great Bulls teams. Do you see a parallel between Michael Jordan and Patrick Mahomes when it comes to how ruthless they are in closing out games? Sure. I mean, I, I, you know, Jimi Hendrix, like I'm looking for comps. You know, who's the best of all time uh, in anything? And I'm not saying he's the best of all time yet, but he's on that level. Uh, you know, look, he's been a starter for six years. Twice he's lost in overtime of the AFC Championship game. Once when, under the old rules, Brady got the ball first and scored a touchdown, and that was after the D Ford neutral zone. Uh, once against the Bengals and Burrow, and then he lost one Super Bowl when his offensive line was decimated. Every other important game, he's won, uh, and that's crazy. Uh, he's 28 years old. His temperament is amazing. Uh, he's, as you said, ruthless like Jordan or Steph or 
uh, Brady or Montana and so many others. And his physical skills are also Jordan-esque. Uh, I, I don't know if it translated on TV, and I'm going to have to go back and watch. But I'm just going to tell you, that ball he threw back across his body to Hardman right before the Pacheco fumble, uh, 52-yard completion from left to right, perfectly arcing into the receiver's arms with two DBs in the area. That's one of the greatest plays I've ever seen live. I, that, seeing it from those dimensions, it was unfathomable. And that's just one thing he did in this game. But uh, I hope the people who got to experience it that live uh, agree with me because that was just uh, – I don't even know too many quarterbacks who would have attempted that throw, you know, your Elway, your Favre types. But to actually put it in that spot was uh, just wild. You know what it was? It was sublime. Mike Silver joining us. Hey, Mike, go back to that point about Hendricks. Since you mentioned him, let me ask you. Hendricks, Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, Eddie Van Halen. Who am I missing? Is Hendricks on the top of that list? Come on, man. You know we got to talk about Jerry, given my uh, lineage. There are a lot of amazing other guitarists. I, I want to, you know, I would I would put Santana in there, uh, among others. But I, to me, Hendrix is the all-time great, and uh, to me, Montana is. But Brady's got the rings, and Mahomes is far from done. Mike, what is that? Is that partly generational? Like, you and I are close in age. We came up covering the same things. Man, we were in that Joe era. We were in that Joe era like a lot of people were in that MJ era and didn't understand MJ until they saw the last dance. There's something about Joe. Now, you're a Bay Area guy. You were close to it. Is that... Are are you being really objective? And believe me, I would love... Joe's my guy. I love Joe. Why Joe over Tom Brady? Well, two things. First of all, the magic. Uh, when it came to magical moments, uh, he is unsurpassed. And that started at Notre Dame with the chicken soup game. It started in 19, or it continued in 1980 when they were down 35-7 to the States. We all know about the catch. There's the lost classic 83 NFC Championship game in Washington. Brought him back from 21 nothing of the fourth. And then they lost on some dubious calls. Uh, the Super Bowl drive, the 92 yards and a lot of others I'm not talking about. There was just a sense that the game was never lost. And then the second thing I would say, and and listen, Brady is the most ruthless competitor I've ever seen in football, and I'm not trying to say Brady's not the greatest. To me, the rules have changed so much. And this is similar to when we talk about the NBA, and you go, are we playing two-man ISO under the old zone defense rules, or is it – Today's rules, where Steph has clearly uh, helped change it, uh, under the rules that Joe Montana, Dan Marino, John Elway, Johnny Unitas, uh, Otto Graham, you know, those people played under, you could hit the quarterback after two steps, receivers could be manhandled, and I think they would have, it's unassailable that they would have had better numbers and longer careers and fewer injuries. Uh, under today's rules. So I'm not saying, look, if Dan Marino played today, he would have thrown for 6,000 yards, but he might have. Yeah, I was going to say he may have. 
He may have, no doubt. Mike Silver joining us. Mike, before you go, this was not conditional, but I saw this. I want to ask you about this. You're a partner at Backstage Media, as I mentioned, which develops unscripted content across numerous platforms, including Skywalker. It's a basketball doc on David Thompson. Now, those who are old enough to know or those who know, know, but what motivated you to work up a doc on David Thompson? What can you tell me about that? Well, you know, you, you, you go back to our era, right? Uh, you know, he was the Skywalker. He was kind of, you know, pre-Jordan, unbelievable athleticism. But, uh, you know, more than that, uh, he was the guy who beat Bill Walton in the Final Four, uh, improbably for North Carolina State. Uh, and then in the NBA, with a scoring title on the line, dropped 73 points uh, and, you know, was a Hall of Fame player. But also kind of got sucked into that tragic 80s uh, you know, zone with the drugs and uh, helped, you know, helped facilitate his uh, demise as a player. And, and then there's kind of a happy ending. Uh, so it, it's a really great story. But, uh, you know, before Jordan, there was Dr. J, there was David Thompson. There were people who were able to above the rim and, and elevate both figuratively and literally and I think it's going to take people back to a, a time that was pretty cool. Skywalker was incredible. Mike Silver is a columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, also a partner at Backstage Media, and he's got a job to do, so I'm going to let you do it. Mike, great to have you on. Always appreciate you, dude. Thank you very much. Great job. Thanks a lot, Jim. Appreciate you. Appreciate you, dude. Always have Mike Silver joining us. Another quality conversation, breaking it down. All right, so your reaction to any of that, and we are open the rest of the way. Done both the interviews. I'd love to hear from you. 1-800-636-8686. On top of that, I do have thoughts. Frisco fan. Hey, listen. You're welcome. I said that I would not pile on, and I have not piled on. Because you know why? I'm not here to hate. Contrary to what you think, I'm not here to hate. I'm here to be objective. Tell you something else I'm going to do. I'm going to reset one of the highlights for me, not only of last week, which was one of my favorite weeks ever, but of any week. Sat down with a number of my favorite people last week. Good sit-down, in-person conversations, but none better than the one that I'm going to reference. Keep that in mind. Hey, you check out Wemby last night. You check out Wemby. Yeah, I know, I know. Hey, Rome, they suck. Right. They're ass. But not Wemby. Wemby is already making history. Already. I want to try and work that in there, too. All that's still ahead. Plus, your phone calls, your posts from the X platform. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio. Clones, you want to recall that not all beef jerky is the same. Old Trapper's original old-fashioned teriyaki, hot and spicy, and peppered all come in France bags. That way you can sample different flavors and find the best one for you. Ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what is your beef? All right, you have your telephone number. Hit me up. 
1-800-636-8686. So really quickly, last week in Vegas was tremendous. And there were so many things going on that I'm concerned that you may have missed a very important milestone for the brand. And if you did, it's understandable. But I want to make sure that I reset it right now, and I don't want to miss this point, this opportunity. I'm talking about episode number 300 of the Jim Rohn Podcast, the original side hustle. So that is a really big number, and it's a number that I'm proud of. So the question was, and we were talking about that in the weeks leading up to it, what do you do? What do you do for episode number 300? Who do we get as a guest for a milestone episode like that? And especially if episode 300, coincidentally, falls on the week of the Super Bowl. So you know you're going to track it at the Super Bowl. A couple of years back, I did Michael Irvin for a podcast episode at the Super Bowl, and it was tremendous. But this is number 300. So I thought about it, and frankly, I did not think about it very long at all, because to me, it was a no-brainer. At the same time, while it was a no-brainer for me, because I love the guy, and I respect the guy so much, I didn't want to go right back to the guy yet. Not yet, because we go back to him pretty often. But I had to, right? I had to hit up a legendary clone and NFL executive in Nick Casario of the Texans. You know, the dude with a fistful of jewelry and the architect behind arguably the best story in the NFL this year. And while I was concerned about making that big ask and asking him for yet something else, it took my dude about one second to say yes. In fact, he was only there like a day or a day and a half and still made time for it. So I got to do the best thing for Ep 300, sit down in person, and chop it up long form with a very good friend and somebody I admire the hell out of. And Nick absolutely crushed it. I mean, he crushed it. Just like he crushed it when he hired D'Amico Ryans as his head coach and drafted C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson Jr. back-to-back and then watched his team go out and rip the divisional title and a playoff game. All after winning only three games a year before. So, one of the things I asked Nick was now that you've had a moment to decompress and take it all in, when you look back on this incredible season, what are you most proud of? Yeah, really what we accomplished. It was exciting. I mean, there was so much work put in by so many people. And to see it kind of come to fruition there at the end and accomplish a number of different things and to win the division and have success as a team and some individual awards and the recognition that the players and the coaches have earned and deserve with their performance. So it's a credit to them. Um, When you're in the heat of it and in the moment, it's kind of hard to really appreciate what's going on. But to your point, take a step back here. Season's over. Of course, we'd like to still be playing, but it doesn't take away what we accomplished this year. Definitely not. So you don't accomplish what Nick has accomplished in his career and in his life by resting on your laurels, right? So I'm sure he took some time and he took it all in, just as I'm sure he's ready to level up once again, something he immediately confirmed to me. I have to turn the page quickly. Honestly, where we get our time to kind of decompress and recalibrate, it's really over the summer. It's like when you go up to Wisconsin for you know a couple of weeks and just unwind. That'll be the opportunity to maybe go back because, you know, for our, from our perspective, finish the season. I was in Mobile last week for two days, going through the Senior Bowl, kind of getting ready for that. And our scouts have done a great job in terms of some of the draft prep. So 
we're here this week. We're going to go back next week. We're going to have another round of draft meetings, then we're going to have a break, and then we're going to go to the combine. So everything kind of keeps moving. So you have to keep moving with it. There's no time to kind of sit on your ass and sit in your laurel, rest on your laurels. It's just not, that's not the way it's designed. But, but the reality is it's about the work. So if you enjoy the work and you enjoy what goes into it, then it's not work. So the, the, the team building aspect and the roster building aspect, this is where it kind of starts here, February, March, April. And then hopefully we can put a team together that's competitive, and then we get to training camp. We'll see where we are. No time to sit on your ass. And it's about the work. And if you like the work, it doesn't feel like work. Like, let's nail the draft. Let's have some great OTAs. Let's head into training camp, ready to rock. We also spoke of another legendary clone and a close friend of Nick's, Josh McDaniels. Look, you know how I feel about Josh. I own the fact that I thought that was a great hire by the Raiders. I like that idea. I thought that'd be a really good thing. And it was anything but. It ended really badly. So, Given the fact that the two of them go so far back, I had to get Nick's take as to why he thought things did not work out for Josh with the Raiders. Yeah, you want to see people succeed, especially people that you're close with. And you can only be kind of in one building, so right. you never really understand the circumstances, everything that goes along with it. You know, I have nothing but respect and admiration for Josh. He's one of the, I, I, my, my opinion, he's one of the best coaches in our league, it's just his mind, the way he works. Um, and when things don't work out for whatever reason, you know, it's really not, I mean, whatever happened, happened. It's kind of out of my control, out of my responsibility. But, you know, certainly with Josh, nothing but the best. And, you know, our relationship will continue beyond football, and that's the most important thing. They go way, way back. And the fact that they were at John Carroll together is really something. He does a great job of talking about that. Another reason why you want to give that a spin. So that hire did not work out. But you know what hire did? The guy that Nick handpicked to coach his team, D'Amico Ryans. Nick knew exactly who he wanted to coach his team, and he went out and got him. Not surprising, considering he actually scouted D'Amico as a player way back in the day coming out of Alabama. From afar, I actually scouted him and evaluated him coming out, so it's kind of interesting. Well, what was your evaluation <laughs> of him coming out? Basically, he's just a coach, tough-minded, smart, instinctive. And I'd say the thing about D'Amico, he's authentic and he's real, and the players feel that. And that, I would say, attitude permeates the entire building. And you see it in the way that the players respond to him and the way that we play on the field. So it starts with the head coach. He messages the team, what you want the team to look like, what do we want the team to look like. And hopefully you see that on the product on the field. But I've enjoyed the opportunity to get to know him more. And my respect and admiration continues to grow. And I think similar to John and and Kyle, we probably complement each other. We're very like-minded. In some areas, we're probably both old souls. We care about the same things. We believe in a lot of the same things. So we're excited about the opportunity to continue to build this moving forward. So what blows me away about the conversation is, you know Nick, and you hear Nick on this show, and probably you're blown away by the fact that Nick's got institutional knowledge of the show. Nick knows the players on the program. He knows the smack-off. He actually has predictions for the smack-off. But you only get Nick in small dosages on the program where he's kind of buttoned up because he's serious and he's competitive and he's professional. And like any other GM, he's going to only give you so much. That was a chance to sit down and really kind of pick his brain and see how his mind works, how methodical he is, how smart he is. So it makes it even more incredible, number one, that he found the time to do it. Like he made a point to come to our set at the Bellagio when he was only there for, I think, 24 hours or a little bit more. Number two, even more incredible, when you listen to the way he breaks down the game and he evaluates personnel and talent and situations, that he takes the time to evaluate the smack off. (laughs) 
That to me is even better, knowing the way his mind works and how smart he is and how successful and pedigreed he is. So that, that was one of my, not only one of my favorite moments of last week, and there were so many great, great moments in Vegas last week. That was one of my favorite moments ever. And again, I, I am really proud to call him a good friend and really proud that he still loves the show and listens when he can and knows about the smack off and knows about those who participate. I mean, that, that's an awesome thing. He and Josh McDaniels, when they worked for the Patriots back in the day together, used to listen to the show. And you know that story. There are some other things, though, because we went long form that Nick got into that you don't know, that you don't know about his background, that you don't know about how he and Josh came up. I, I don't want to give away any more. Gave you a good taste right there. But that's a podcast that you definitely want to give a spin to. I would argue all 300 are. But at the same time, that's a good one. And I do appreciate Nick so much for making time for it. Number 300 was a big one. I needed a real personal guest. I mean, somebody personal to me in the program. And who better than Nick Serio? Right out in front of the Bellagio. Good stuff. All right, so we set up hour number three. Coming up in the third hour, I want to talk Wemby and what he did. Made history again. A Rome Slice. I already know where you're going with this. You had to hit up a legendary clone. Thank you for asking, and my answer is yes. I would love to be the guest on episode 301 of the Jim Rome podcast. Thanks, Jim. Sign G off. G off. Hmm. How many clones have been interviewed as guests for the podcast? I'm trying to think. Nick. I think that's it. Have I ever had another clone on? Has there ever been a smack-off winner, maybe? Did Josh ever do the podcast? I think Nick, Geoff. Hey, Geoff, I'll make you a deal. You can be episode number 1,000. By then, I would have been in the ground 20 years, but you can have that, I promise. Out.